Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noel, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. George Malaysia, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are the founder and CEO of Wildfire Systems, and that can be found at wildfire-corp.com. Thanks for joining me. It's nice to see you, Doug. I was just, we were just talking a second ago, and you're one of those breed of people that I've been meeting and interviewing on this show that love doing serial startups. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. Sure. You know, I, I, uh, I started my career in consulting with Boston Consulting Group, which is a spectacular way to get started. You know, I, would say, I would say start at the top. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. you you uh, um, you're right in the C-suite dealing with strategy and, and you know critical decision making that steers the, the the direction of some of the largest companies on the planet. Um, and then, um, you know, to be perfectly honest, you know, when you're in consulting, your output is PowerPoint. And at some point, you know, like many of my colleagues, at some point you want to uh, build something besides a PowerPoint. And so I, w- I wanted to build stuff. So from there, I went, I, I had a couple stops along the way where I was, and one was running international for a, a Fortune 100 company called GATX, um, which is uh, like the largest lessor of transportation and uh, uh, logistics equipment right. and things like that, which is, you know, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, you're stuck with climb on. Train cars and containers. Exactly. Rail cars, ships, aircraft. Um, and that's up through 99 and the internet was happening and I wanted to be part of it. I, I had a, I had foresight at least to say, you know, I thought at my time, I was at the time I wasn't married and I didn't have kids, but I knew one day my grandparent, my, my grandkids would say, you know, grandpa, where were you when the internet started? And I didn't want the answer to be, I was, you know, leasing rail cars in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I, I started looking around. I got a call from eBay and started there as a, an exec um, uh, pretty early days there. There were a few hundred people when I got there. Mm. Fast forward a few years, there were about 12,000 when I left. So mm. I was there for a, a rapid growth period. Um, and, you know, that was, an, that was I think, formative in term, for me in terms of um, uh, my desire to be in startups because the eBay, you know, eBay was a few hundred people still felt like a startup. In, in the sense that, you know, you're asking uh, forgiveness instead of permission. Right. And you survived the dot-com crash of, two, uh, crash of 2000. Yes, we, yeah, I survived a few of those, right? So, um, but, you know, as businesses grow and get larger, they become more bureaucratic. And then you're, you know, you, you spend the, most of your time in bigger companies asking for permission rather than forgiveness. And I, I like it the other way around. <laughs> so, so um, uh, I'm now in my third startup down here in San Diego. You know, San Diego is a spectacular market. It's a great place to live. Um, but from a, a technology perspective, you still have to kill what you eat a little bit. You know, you, I like, I, not, but it's not just that. I like building businesses from scratch. Um, the, um, that formative period where you're figuring out the strategy, building the team, testing out product market fit, you know, uh, 
kind of calls on all of the the fun strengths, you know, it's not just strengths, but like the things I like to do and that challenge me. Um, I went, by the time it's on, uh, on rails and it's more of an, an operational sort of, uh, uh, growth mode. I'm, I'm good at that, but I, I prefer the earlier stage. You're ready to move on. Yeah. <laughs> so wildfire, what does wildfire do? So we provide a, uh, an enterprise platform for rewards and loyalty programs. So you're, you may be familiar with companies like uh, Rakuten or Honey or Capital One Shopping or others that provide shopping rewards for consumers. I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah. So you can go shop and you can earn cash back or use coupons when you shop online. Um, those those entities are um, you know kind of wholly owned walled gardens. You know Capital One owns Capital One Shopping. PayPal bought Honey. Mm-hmm. Rakuten was is actually acquired a company called Ebates. What we're finding is that um, uh, many other enterprises, particularly financial institutions and others, anyone who's frankly in this, the, you know, I call it the, the chain of custody of, of, of a consumer's transaction. Mm-hmm. If you have an audience and you want to drive retention and, and create new revenue streams, offering them shopping rewards is a great way to do it. So we have a platform that enables uh, consumer, our partners like banks, card issuers, and others to deploy rewards programs to their users. And we, we build those out for them. We manage those programs for them. Uh, and that way, you know, their, their consumers are, are saving hundreds of dollars a year. Our partners are making hundreds of dollars, you know, millions of dollars a year, uh, many millions. Um, and, um, and we build those programs out for them. Where do you get the idea for this? And it's a unique idea. You know, it's um, the, uh, the underlying platform is, is really a, a commerce platform that um, monetizes uh, transactions that we refer to merchants. And, you know, in my prior business, which was a company called Eventful, um, we, uh, a, a large part of our business was referring purchasers into the ticket purchase funnel. Eventful was a, uh, like a local, a global guide for local events. You know, hey, honey, what do you want to do this weekend? Right. Um, and then people would click from the, you know, 25 million people a month would use that service click from there over to, you know, Ticketmaster, StubHub, et cetera, to buy tickets. And we earned a scrape from those, from those referrals. Oh, okay. And um, it's a nice revenue stream because you can do it in your sleep. Right. Set, that, it's set it and forget it from a business perspective. It's not fielding a massive sales force or anything like that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I like high leveraged you know, models. You know, eBay was a really good high leverage model. We didn't have inventory. We had, we were marketplace that helps supply and meet demand. Right. Um, this business is, you know, Mark has a lot of those marketplace characteristics as well. On the supply side, we work with about uh, approaching 60,000 merchants who pay us a share of transactions that we refer into them. And on the uh, demand side, finding consumers, we don't go directly to consumers. We power these rewards programs for banks and others. So the consumers, and, the consumers are their clients, their clients are their customers. Yes. Coming, so when, coming exactly. on the platform. Exactly. And and to the and to the on the customer side, the client side, are they are the banks or people that are using your platform? Are they paying you a fee too? Um, in some cases, yeah, yeah. But it's it's you know for the most part, we'd like to align our incentives and really uh, do like you know build the business on a rev share. Right. Well, and that makes perfect sense because if you're successful and they're successful, everybody grows. Everyone wins. This is one of those rare uh, businesses, Doug, that I, that I've been involved in, where where everyone in the uh, the ecosystem wins when we are successful. 
yeah, and you just got to remind, you know, the pigs get big, hogs get slaughtered, so you, you can't be greedy. Yeah, and in one of these days, someone's going to explain that expression to me because I'm not really sure what <laughs> the difference between a hog and a pig and why one gets big and the other gets slaughtered. I was trying to look that up the little other day, pig, as a matter of fact. Pigs, little pigs grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hogs are fully grown out. They're ready for the slaughterhouse. I see. Okay, got it. <laughs> well, what is it that gets you really excited in the morning when you get up? You know, I, I think it's um, the first thing that uh, we do. It's my team, frankly. You know, the first thing that we do every day is our our, our daily stand-ups. Everyone's button seat with a cup of coffee, you know, between 8.30 and 9. And um, that's how we get our day started is kind of talking through what happened yesterday and what we're working on today. And that's a great way to stay grounded and connect with people, especially in a, a fully remote environment that we've, that we've got. Oh, you're fully remote? Fully remote, yeah. How many employees? Uh, we're approaching 60. That's a lot of people. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good sized group. And how do you, how are you, how are you managing the roboteness? Everybody, does everybody, all 60 come together in the morning or, or are you breaking into groups or teams? You know, when it, when it was like 10 or 12, we were all together in the same group. Right. And uh, as it grew some, somewhere in the kind of 20 range is when we kind of split it up by topic. Um, and then I think it's been split a couple more times. Um, so there's, you know, the, the BD team, does a stand up the marketing team does a stand up i think there's two or three now different uh stand ups for our engineering and product teams where mm -hmm. they collaborate every morning um and you know frankly i was uh, pre pandemic my team was already pushing for uh, even when we were a small team they wanted more of a remote setup and i um i was pretty old school i was resistant to it <laughs> you know, i i i thought you know we need to be in the same room uh, you know, same building right. to you know collaborate and and share ideas, and you know the pandemic forced. We had one employee who was a, a co-founder, critical uh, employee who moved to Texas, and you know again, I'm the old, I'm like the, he, the old school guy on the team. He set up a, a, a an iPad on a stand um, at the like the main conference room table. And it was permanently on in a Zoom room, and it was just a green button. And whenever he's like, Jordan, if you ever want, if you want, ever need me, just push that button. And I'd push the button, and he was there because he, he had the whole you know, Zoom set up perpetually. Wow. So, and, and so we got used to that for about a year before uh, the pandemic. So by the time the pandemic rolled around, we, were, we rolled right into um, all being very comfortable. What I found, though, is interesting, you know, when you were in the same building, you know, like my CTO would sometimes roll in, he'd put his headphones on and he'd get to work. And we wouldn't necessarily have a chat every day. You know, we'd maybe grab lunch or whatever, but th the day would be well underway before you even said hello sometimes. In the, the new environment, we're cycling every day, 10, 20 minutes every morning, better communicate. We have better communication now than when we were in the same Very intentional. Ac across the team. Right. I'm, I mean, my practice is, is radically shifted as a, a result of this. To my, I love it. I mean, I live where I live, like you live where you live, and I can do this. I had a mediation <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago where I had a lawyer in Paris, another lawyer in Florida, a client in Toronto, and another client in Temecula. And we were, they were arguing over avocados, Peruvian avocados. Uh, and we got the whole case settled in four hours, but it would have been impossible. Can you imagine all the jet fuel that would have taken to get everyone in the same room? Yeah. And it was and, and the amount of money in controversy was relatively small. 
So, I mean, it's a huge savings for the clients. And the lawyers were thrilled that we could get it done. And they have a mediator in Central California. Did you get any avocados out of it? No, uh, they were Peruvian avocados. <laughs> there, there was a problem with Peruvian avocados. <laughs> Peruvian avocados that went to Philadelphia during the pandemic, and there was a huge market glut. And so big argument over whether or not the commission broker was at fault or, or was at market at fault. Gotcha. A little bit of everything. So they settled, which was good. But yeah, I agree. And I know there are a lot of people calling for return to re return from remote work. Uh, but there is a lot of there are a lot of jobs and a lot of tasks that can be done remotely. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that don't want to get back in the car and do the commute again. Well, my my kids are are I don't know if they know I have grateful kids in general, but I think they're I don't know if they know how how lucky we all are now. You know, I can drive them to school, I can pick them up, I'm at sports. I'm here for, you know, the parent teacher meetings, you know, yeah. in a way, in ways that I never could have been Before. in the old way of doing things. Yeah. What is it, what is it you think that's unique about yourself that you bring, bring to the table that makes, makes everything work so well? Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I think first and foremost, you got to surround yourself with a great team. Um, you've got to make sure that there's alignment of kind of vision. Um, and then and then I think you have to step back um, and let it happen. Let people do their thing. Let them do their thing. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I can, I've, from time to time, I get accused of being a micromanager, but not very often. And it's usually just when it's someone, when I'm concerned about how something's tracking or, um, someone new and I'm just getting them up to speed. Mm -hmm. For the most part, um, uh, I'm very laissez-faire. I'm very hands-off with my team. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm fully involved and, and familiar with the details, but I, you know, it's, it's really important to let people run their own areas. I, I agree. And I, I think that too many people feel like when you're a leader, you've got to be doing stuff. But when it's exactly the opposite, when you're leading, you're not doing stuff. We do good, you know, like, like many people, we do shared calendars and I'm able to look at what, what, you know, all the stuff that my team's working on. Right. And sometimes I'll have like, you know, an hour of downtime meeting gets canceled, whatever. And I look around at whatever everyone else is doing. And of course I could dive in and be part of it, but it's better to, you know, that doesn't scale. Right. There's only uh, one. And if you want your company to grow. Yeah. So, so I think there's a, but there's a different answer to that question, which is, you know, I, I have, I, I have a very strategic mindset, but I'm also very, but I also love execution. Mm -hmm. I like partnerships and BD. Um, I'm not an attorney, but I, but I play one at work. Um, you know, I, so I like to roll up my sleeves on, uh, particularly on the BD side of it. I'm, you know, the last few businesses I've built are all, you know, technology businesses, but at the same time, I'm not a technical, you know, I'm, I'm a layman. Right. Um, so I've got great engineering uh, leadership that I trust completely. Um, so, you know, when you, when I look at sort of that, the first chapter of my career was at BCG, which was all strategy, like we talked about. Right. And when, as I stepped away from that, the epiphany that I had, because you know it's obvious and you know to, in, in hindsight, is that strategy in that role, strategy was 100. percent but in a successful business, strategy is 
execution is the other 95. That's right. And so I think I balance that really well. I, I, and I'm intentional about it, making sure that we are um, visiting and revisiting strategy in the right proportion, but really focusing on execution. You've got a really impressive list of investors. And I saw on your website that you closed a pretty big Series A. What's what's the what's the plan? What's the exit strategy? What are your investors expecting? You know, I think that um, with uh, uh, venture capital, that, you know, obviously there's expectation of liquidity at some point. Right. Um, no one's in a hurry. The business we're building is it's growing rapidly. I think it, it has the opportunity to be a massive business. So I never get any pressure from a timing perspective. Um, I think the expectation is that this, it, it, and I think it's borne out by just the trajectory that we're on, that you know this business is, um, it's got uh, a foundation and momentum that you know is looking really promising. And so um, I'm incredibly uh, inspired and enthusiastic about it. It's it's the best thing that I've ever worked on. Um, it has the the. That's saying a lot because you worked on yeah. some pretty big deals. Yeah, no, this is this is my you know, <laughs> I love all my children the same, but this is my favorite business <laughs> that I've ever worked on. Um, the um, uh, it, so from a, from an outcome perspective, right now, you know, we we I could certainly get pulled into that conversation, Doug, but in real in reality, um, I. And my team don't let ourselves get distracted by that. That's good. That's a, that's an answer I like to hear. Yeah. If, in general, you know, you build something great, and good things happen. That's exactly right. That's so right. instead of you know, so I look at this from the perspective of you know, building a business that's built to last, right? With systems and processes that can truly scale, with documentation and onboarding, and uh, you know. For even when we were not now we're approaching 60 people, but when we were about 25 or 30 people, we implemented you know performance management processes and things like that, which are as sophisticated as I saw when I was in a business of 10,000 people. Wow. And we do that because it's we we right size it. I don't want that to, you know, the task fills to to, you know, the task expands to fill the time allotted. So we, you know, we keep pretty short fuses on stuff like that. But at the same time, it's really important to um, build a foundation that can scale uh, and and put the systems and processes in place. So we're doing that, and uh, you know, and building trusting, uh, building great team, building trusting relationships with our partners. Um, so you know, doing I think doing all the right things. That's building a ton of institutional uh, enterprise value. Uh, it sounds like you're really doing a doing everything right. Well. Which is nice because that's that's because you're you know I'm the guy answering the question. You know? Well, no, I mean I, I interview a lot of guys like you, and I, I I rarely hear the kind of thoughtfulness that I mean I hear a lot of what you're talking about people talk about, but the fact that for example when the company's still small you're thinking about well what, what's our company going to look like at five thousand employees? What systems can we put in place today that will scale to five thousand so that we don't have to panic at a thousand and say, wait a minute, we need to completely re redesign the ship. Right. And that, I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Although what I, one of the things I love about this business is that so it's so capital efficient, you know, and this, and, and so I don't see 5,000, maybe 500, but this, oh. but, but this, this can be a, a massive, like a, a massive business, a massive money maker with a very yeah. small 
meet yeah. with friends. Exactly. <laughs> That's really good. I like that. I, I would too. So yeah. tell me about the importance of listening in your business and what you do. I'm letting you finish your sentence. Oh, I'm <laughs> just listening. Yeah. Um, I'm leaders and I'm all about listening. I teach listening. So I'm really interested in people's perspectives on this. You know, we hear, I, I, as I was thinking about that and I saw the title of your, you know, I've looked at some of your work, you know, about listening. Um, I think we have sort of two modes. One is um, a very, uh, I would say, methodical, polite process of, you know, people taking their turns and, and you know, listening and waiting till people finish their sentences and letting, you know, you know, before you hand, you know, letting them finish their thought before they hand the conch around. Um, on the other hand, you know what I mean by the conch shell, you know. Right. Uh, um, like the talking stick, but uh, yeah, but, yeah, the talking stick, the conch shell, whatever. Um, you know that that's one mode, and I'd say that's that's most of our interactions are like that. I think being we're talking on screens in particular um, uh, breeds that you have to when you've got 10, 20 people in a meeting and they're all just little tiles on your screen. You can't be talking all over each other. Right. It'd be a mess. Um, uh, as a and then the other mode is, you know, particularly you know in smaller groups, my exec team meetings. Sometimes it's like, you know, uh, a bloody death match of getting your opinion <laughs> out. But that's okay. That's okay. You know, like it's and, but it's we know when we're doing it and we know when we're not. Um, ultimately, you know, you know, I, I I know the buck stops with me on critical decisions, and so I'm I'm still learning on this topic. Of, of being a listener i think i think that's kind of a life a lifelong learning process um but um what i've learned at this up to this point is to not be is to be the one of the last to speak not the first as a decision maker i want to get all the opinions out hear all the pros and cons ask clarifying questions and then basically come to a conclusion and express how i got there from the input from my team. Um, I don't have a lot of pride of authorship about my decisions. Uh, you know, ask me an opinion and I'll have one, but I um, am, uh, I would easily swayed is the wrong way to say it. I, I respect the opinions of the team around me and I'm, my, and I, you know, that informs the ultimate decision. How do you manage disagreement? Through consensus usually. I mean, of course, you know, uh, I think consensus and um, you mean, well, ask the question differently when, I, when you say disagreement. Well, I mean, I, I, have you ever faced a situation where you've got people on your team who are just, they're, they're, they're just in total disagreement and they're getting a little heated about it? Not so much with this team. I, in my last business, I had, I think that comes down to like personalities and respect and a, a, a culture of respect. Um, I've been in businesses where um, people didn't respect, I, you know, I, I, my last business, there were people who would say, you know, I'm never going to work with him again, <laughs> you know, storming out of meetings, that kind of stuff. Right. We don't have any of that here. I think that's, it's part of building a culture and building the right team. Well, that's, um, that's you selecting the right people and making sure that people fit, fit, fit well together. Yeah. So, um, we, I, I literally, I can't, uh, remember 
a time of heated conflict within the last couple of years. That's great. We and that and believe me, we have we're surrounded by strong-minded type A personalities. I get that. But they are, but they're seasoned and they get it. Like this is we're all we're I think it's because we have uh goal alignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 makes a, a, a big um, big difference. When you talk about consensus, I have a specific idea of what consensus is as a peacemaker. I'm curious as, as to when you think about consensus, what is that's a, it's a form of decision making. What do you how do you see it? Um, I think that it kind of relates back to what I was saying before, which is when we're when there's a decision to be made, uh, resource allocation or prioritization or hiring or firing or whatnot, um, letting all of the stakeholders that matter express an opinion, feel heard, Good. taking their uh, opinions into consideration, um, and to the extent that the decision um varies from what you know someone at the table wanted um making sure that they understand the rationale they, they making sure they heard that this you know this these aren't back channel like back office deals that, right. that's straight right. it's transparency and understanding you know might not be what they recommended or what they hoped for but they at least understand how the decision was made and why the what what priority drove the decision and they can accept it yeah. And get behind it. Yes. Yeah, good. Um, in, in group consensus making decision, the first part you talked about is critical. That is, everybody's had a chance to talk about the decision. And then the second criteria in group, if this is using consensus as a group decision making, is nobody has a, nobody can raise a principal objection to the decision. So, if you say, I'm not even sure what you mean. <laughs> so it does, the, the decision does not val, it does not violate either an individual value or a value of the group. Mm-hmm. That's okay. a, a principal objection would be the reason we I'm objecting to this is because it violates one of our fundamental premises of our business. And here's why. Yeah. And then everybody has to step back and say, oh, you're right. We got to rethink this. But it, supposing you're going to paint the conference room walls back in the days when we had offices purple. Yeah. Somebody says, I hate purple. Well, that's not a principal objection. That's an aesthetic. Right, right. So we, 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 you know, as recently as last week, there was, I remember a debate where we had a, you know, there was a principal objection about, you know, we were deciding whether to go to take a, you know, make a, a business decision. And it was out of line with what we are. A lot of it has to do with focus, Doug. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's not about, this is not, these are not moral. Uh, no. Uh, this is not about ethics and morals so much as like, in a, in a, especially when you've got a small, high performance team, like I like to call it small but mighty. Right. Um, uh, I come from a, an attitude of being a little bit opportunistic. You know, I'd like to have a few irons in the fire, make sure that we're flanking ourselves with from an opportunity perspective, so that others don't flank us. But at the same time, you can't do that too much because you can't stretch the team too far. Right. So a lot of the decisions that we make as an executive team have to do with um, potential, whether to pursue adjacent opportunities Uh, and whether those adjacent opportunities are um, consistent with what our strengths are and what our strategic direction is, or if they're too far afield. And we still debate those things. And then we revisit those every quarter or, or more often. So once a decision's made, it doesn't mean that it can't be spoken of again. I, 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 you know, I'm a Libra, 
So I am always happy to revisit, you know, to <laughs> overthink things and then revisit decisions. But that doesn't stop me from being decisive and building a business. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, I like that because um, too many too many companies fail because they chase the bright shiny object. And if you say, "Oh, this is this is what our focus is," nope, this is too far away from our focus. Or no, this is this is an opportunity. It's a little bit of a stretch, but boy, if we pull it off, it strengthens the core. Yeah, and we and we do both. And the question is, how elastic? Do, you know, how how much to stretch it? Right. Um, and and even in an environment with infinite resources, th there's I, I guess there's no such thing because ultimately there's. Um, an organization and a culture and a, a management, you know, team that needs to be fully informed. And, you know, there's only so much that you can fit in. Right. Right. Yeah. But, the but to your point of staying focused, I think is really important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. One more question. I'll let you go. What's one thing about you that we wouldn't know about unless you revealed it to us? Um, I, uh, there's a lot of things. <laughs> Where do I start? No, um, uh, you know, I think my biggest passion is travel. Um, I've been to, I think, 85 countries now. Wow. Which is almost half of the countries on the list. Wow. Um, uh, that's been in fits and starts. I think, you know, uh, career, particularly earlier in my life and in my career, you know, every, every, every so often you find yourself uh, in between, whether it's in between school before the next school or a job before going back to school or finishing school and going back to work or switching jobs, whatever it is. And I've generally made a habit of taking advantages of those interim periods to go explore the world. Oh, good for you. Yeah. And and for me, the, the most fun is getting as far off the grid as possible, you know, into the jungles of Indonesia or the, oh. you know, the, 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 deep in the Amazon rainforest, et cetera. Wow. I bet you have some stories to tell. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Jordan. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Doug, likewise. Thank you very much. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.com. Doug Noll, D-O-U-G-N-O-L-L dot com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.